0: Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Y'all doing well? All right, I'll pray for you. It's okay. All right, life, life's good. And uh, for those of you I've not met, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. And uh, today we are back in our study of the book of Revelation. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn there, or maybe you have the Bible app. While you're doing that, I just want to mention just briefly again about baptism next weekend. Uh, so every once in a while, I mean, obviously I have lots of conversations with people about spiritual journey. And periodically, as we're talking, uh, find out how they come to faith in Christ and all that. And I asked, well, when were you baptized? And they said, well, I was baptized as a baby. I said, great, wonderful. But, like, when, when did you do believer's baptism? And they said, well, but I was baptized as a baby. And I said, well, again, that's great, but that's not believer's baptism right so you know as a baby great your folks had faith but obviously you're an infant so and what we practice what we see in the bible is that once you come to faith in christ you get baptized and so if you've not done that, if you come to faith in Jesus, you haven't followed him, it's that point of obedience as, as Sean had mentioned. We would love to have you part. It's just such a great day of rejoicing. Plus, it's a, it's a great day to, to bring... Um, To bring folks, especially that are unchurched Or maybe you don't know where they're at in their relationship with the Lord Uh, We're going to obviously be sharing the gospel It's wonderful testimonies And so it's going to be a great day And we look forward to to being here next weekend Let's read our text for today It's verses 7 and 8 Behold, he is coming with the clouds And every eye will see him Even those who have pierced him And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So if I were to say the word Maranatha, you familiar with it? Maranatha. Maranatha means... Our Lord comes. That's probably the best translation of it. It's actually an Aramaic word that we find that the early first century Christians used uh, probably mostly as a benediction, but maybe even as a greeting, but to encourage one another as they went through their difficulty. Maranatha. Maranatha. Our Lord comes. Keep your chin up. Our Lord comes, Maranatha. We see it one time in Scripture. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed, Maranatha. Doesn't that make you feel better about it? Well, obviously, when Paul wrote that letter to the the Corinthian church, and he's coming down the last few thoughts... Paul didn't write it in chapters and verses. Uh, I don't really think Maranatha, he meant to be a part, right? He's talking about the, the idea of, uh, you know, you got to love Jesus. But now, Maranatha, our Lord comes. Be diligent about what you do. It's an important thing. In fact, the very next verse is this, that the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. That's that idea. Live in light of it. Maranatha, our Lord comes. It's at the heart as Christians of our two world view. Well, that's exactly what our text here is about behold he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him so it is to be we have here again the promise of his coming so when you think about it so far we're what eight verses into the book of Revelation. We saw the title of the book. It's the one that you know, is given to us in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've seen the importance of the book. Verse 3, "Right, blessed is he who reads, who hears, and who heeds these words. We, we've seen who wrote it. It was John. Who did he write it to? The seven churches uh, that are there in Asia Minor we've actually looked ahead in verse 19 and we've already seen even the outline is given there the the outline is write the things you have seen the things which are the things which take place but when you get to verse 7 here what you have is the keynote this is the theme this is what the book is about behold he comes in the clouds This is the book of Revelation. It is all about the second coming of Christ. Now, one of the things that is to me a little fascinating, if you do a word study, is he uses the word "behold" twenty-five times. Let me say that again: twenty-five times in the book of Revelation, this word behold is used and when you start doing a word study you see that most every time what john is introducing is what i would call a divine intervention that god is stepping into history god is stepping into the playing field god is uniquely doing something. for instance you see it in verse 18 Uh, In fact, what's the last part of verse 17? Jesus speaking, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Right? The divine intervention of the resurrection. Right? So, Good Friday happens. Everybody thinks it over. But God uniquely intervenes. Behold, I am alive forevermore. You see it again here in... uh, chapter 2 verse 22 so he's talking to the church of Thyatira and there's a woman there by the name of Jezebel and she she's not living righteously and God's given her time to repent verse 21 verse 22 behold I will throw her into a bed of sickness right? So behold, intervention. I'm going to discipline. I'm going to deal with her, right? She's going along, going along. I've given her time, but behold, I'm going to step in. You see it in in chapter 3, verse 8 to the church at uh, Philadelphia, he says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door. he just talked about how you have a little faith, right? They wasn't a really strong church, but behold, I'm going to intervene here. I'm going to open a door that nobody's going to shut. You're going to go and do what I've called you to do because I'm going to open the door. and Nobody's going to be able to, to keep you from doing that. You get to chapter 5. And You had that picture of the 7 seal book. And remember, nobody could open it. And John begins to weep. And then an elder says, John, don't weep. Behold, a lamb as it had been slayed from the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's Jesus, right? Behold, the intervention. You get to chapter 6, and he opens the first seal. Behold, I saw a white horse right it's divine intervention this is the keynote behold he is coming in the clouds one of these days there's going to be this divine intervention jesus is coming back it's not just going to go on like it always has jesus is going to intercede jesus is going to intervene jesus is going to interrupt he's going to show up and now what he does is he takes two Old Testament passages, and he ties them together to speak about the second coming of Christ. Now, if you've been with us these last couple weeks, the thing that I've told you is to understand the book of Revelation, you're going to have to go back into the Old Testament because so much, I mean, out of what, 404 verses, 200, nearly 280 of them reference the Old Testament. Well, there's two references here. The first one is from the book of Daniel. And we're going to be in Daniel a lot during this time. In fact, you were with us a couple of weeks ago. We put the picture of the statue, right? It, as God reveals to Nebuchadnezzar how all of history is going to play out. These four great kingdoms, but ultimately there's a stone not made with hands. Remember that? And it comes and it crushes the statue and now grows into a great mountain. Well, when you get to Daniel chapter 7, you have... For the most part, the same prophecy, just different imagery. He talks about four beasts or four animals that come representing these great kingdoms. And then you get to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. This is kind of the stone not cut with hands, but it's now in Daniel 7. And he says, And I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming... And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And then it goes on about how now he establishes his kingdom forever. Behold, he comes with the clouds. How did Jesus like to refer to himself? The son of man. That's what he was pointing at. That's what he was pointing at. But then, he also now ties it into this idea here, that, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Well, that comes from Zechariah chapter 12. Last week if you are with us, we were in Zechariah 4. Zechariah 12 says, in that day I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. By the way, think Revelation 19. That is that and I will pour out the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn they will look on me whom they have pierced now let me Let me just take a little aside here for a moment you and I they will look on him who we've pierced you know what we think we think crucifixion right they nailed him to the cross they pierced his his hands and his feet with with the nail and then just to make sure he was dead they came and stick the spear up his side but we think crucifixion Zachariah prophesied this back in the early 500s BC Now there is some discussion how long crucifixion has actually been around But we know that it did not come as a popular form of execution until the Romans in about 100 BC So 400 400 years before crucifixion is really even that big of a thing they will look on him whom they pierced he's going to come every eye is going to see oh by the way here's the cool part jesus now in matthew 24 and and if you've been with us because we've been to matthew 24 we will because matthew 24 is basically the book of revelation just very compressed So he's talked about all the things that are going to happen and now he gets to the return of the Son of Man. And Matthew 24 verse 30 says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all of the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So think about it. When John writes this, Behold, he is coming. And he takes Daniel chapter 7. And he takes Zechariah chapter 12, some 60 years before this. John was sitting there on the Mount of Olives and heard Jesus do the very same thing. Behold, he is coming. Folks, Maranatha, our Lord comes. Now one of the interesting things as you get into this, he comes in the clouds. What do we mean by the clouds? Well, there's really two thoughts that are invested. One is, where are the clouds? Right? They're up there. Right? So the idea is is that he comes from above. Uh, So how did he leave here? He's on the Mount of Olives. Disciples are all around. What does it tell us in Acts 1? And as after he had said these things, he was lifted up. Where did he go? Up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, they're looking up. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Why do you stand gazing into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you will come just the same way. It's the idea is that he is going to come from above. Remember John 14. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Where did he go? Heaven. Up. That's where he went. From the Mount of Olives. Up. So he is going to return and he is going to come from from above, which, by the way, is one of the reasons that, to me, you cannot understand this literally and take the idea that this is all past, right? We talked about one of the ways of looking at the book of Revelation is that it was fulfilled in A.D. 70 when the Romans conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple because Jesus didn't you know and they will say well he did but you know but it was a spiritual sense he's coming from above every eye is gonna see him they're, they're just it says what it says there's a second part not only that he comes from above but the fact that when he comes with the clouds the clouds refer to the glory of God so, think children of Israel that come out of Egypt, how does God now show up to them? Cloud, right? Exodus 13, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way. At night, that cloud came fire inside. It was the presence of God. They go to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain to meet God. God comes down. How did he come down? In a cloud. Think uh, Think the dedication of the tabernacle Right so they get it all set up Uh, Same thing happened with the Temple in in, uh, when Solomon Built it they get it all set up The glory of God came Down in a cloud which By the way have you ever thought about This Moses goes up into The cloud and meets God and it's So his radiance is such that when Moses comes down he shines But when God's glory came down over that tabernacle, it tells us that even Moses couldn't go into the tabernacle. Rich, chew on that. Give me a thought on that someday. Right? God's glory. Well, we can give you one more for instance. Think of the transfiguration. So you remember Jesus is transfigured up on this mountain, and Moses and Elijah, are there talking to him. Right? And they're glowing, and it's all this. And then Peter. Aren't you appreciative of Peter? Right? He set the bar so low for us. I love Peter. You know, if you could say the wrong thing at the wrong time, that's Peter. And so Peter's saying, Lord, it's good for us to be here. What if we build three tabernacles? You know, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. And then God showed up. And it says, While he, speaking to Peter, was still speaking, running his mouth, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Can I give you the Ingram translation of that? It's Jesus, you idiot. (laughs) Don't worry about Moses and Elijah. You have the Son of God here listen to him but how does god show up in a cloud behold he is coming with the clouds jesus is coming back as the son of god the king of kings maranatha our lord comes not only that but there's an interesting phrase that's really easy to kind of miss but behold he is coming Jesus is the coming one So when you think of the term Messiah What they were looking for in the Old Testament What Messiah basically meant Was the coming one The anointed one The one who was expected The one who was promised Do you remember when John the Baptist right? He sees Jesus He comes to be baptized He says behold the Lamb of God Who takes away the sin of the world But then John gets thrown into prison And Jesus doesn't really go And start doing anything and so John started having some second thoughts. And so he sent some of his disciples to Jesus with this question. Are you the coming one? Are you the expected one? Are you the one who was to come? It's the, it, it's the Messiah. That's what it means. And even, we sometimes miss this because, again, it, it's subtle, but Jesus is coming into Jerusalem at the triumphal entry, and they're singing out their praises, which, by the way, is from Psalm 118. What did they say? Hosanna to the Son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Messiah. Messiah the expected one, behold he is coming, Maranatha our Lord comes one last thing before we move on he is coming it's it's an interesting twist in in the Greeks to tenses and I tell you all the time I'm not a Greek scholar, I'm not playing one this weekend either but the word there is in the present tense but it's with a futuristic view. The idea is he's already on his way. Uh, remember, we looked a couple of weeks ago at the verse that says he's at the door, right? He's near. This is all about the imminence, right? Jesus said, I'm going to go away, which he did, and if I go away, I will return. Right, So this is in the process. There's nothing left that's got to happen. He's not waiting to return. There's no boxes over here that have to be ticked for him to come. He is in the process of coming. It could be any moment. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. We don't know. Jesus is coming. He's in the process. Now notice this. The response to his coming. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Now, Jesus' first coming was somewhat quiet, right? Uh, Limited. I mean, like, who knew? I mean, they knew Bethlehem, but they didn't know the time. So, Mary and Joseph clearly knew. Uh, the shepherds knew because angels showed up to talk to them the wise men knew because they saw a star in the east Herod knew and didn't care other than it was a threat to him so he was going to take care of that but pretty subdued right and then for 30 years it's really quiet I remember hearing guys saying, you know, why didn't, you know, you got the son of God. Why didn't somebody write something down for us, right? You know, what did he do? We don't know. Except for when he was 12 years old. Ah, but not his second coming. His second coming, every eye's going to see, everybody's going to know. His second coming is not going to be a surprise. Folks, Think about this There's not anybody Who's going to miss this right Sometimes we miss things I uh, <laughs> uh, you, know, you know many of us kind of miss You know uh, if you remember back in November We had an election and we all woke up The next morning to go see who won right And we didn't know right And then you kept having to go through uh, Have any of you been paying attention to this uh, uh, Asbury revival Asbury revival taking place isn't that cool right and you know wouldn't it be so awesome if, if God would we're, were start moving in our country for another awakening to our young people which would be great and you kind of hear these stories about it spreading to some others but I'm reading this story and I'm thinking oh man that's so cool and I look you know what it's four days old I didn't know right I just saw it now nah, that's not how it's going to work at Jesus second coming jesus second coming everybody's gonna know in the moment there's nobody who's gonna wake up the next day and go hey what happened jesus every eye will see well how does that happen i don't know i i Jesus could do it a lot of different ways. Maybe it's the fact that as the earth rotates, every eye is going to see. There's nobody in the deep, darkest part of Africa or the most remote island in the world is not going to know that now all of a sudden the king of kings has returned. The world has ceased to exist in that moment the way they thought it was going to, right? And what does it say happens? They mourn. They mourn. It's an interesting word in the Greek. It came in time to mean and to reference people, pagans, who going through grief would begin to cut themselves. They would mourn. This is about an intensity in their life that they'll, they'll mourn now you think about that you and i and we think about the coming of the lord and we kind of get excited right it's our blessed hope right that's the day when man life gets good We, we we get home we we now get to be with jesus we get to live in this land where where there's justice and truth and equity and all fairness and why well they're mourning because of the rebellion I mean the reality is they see Jesus the gig is up all the lies are exposed all the truth that is suppressed is brought to the floor they mourn and if I could just take a moment here to say this What the Word of God tells us is that every single one of us that are here today or watching online, and quite honestly, every single one of us who isn't here today and not watching online, someday is going to stand before the King of Kings. We're standing before Jesus. You will be there just as I will be there, just as sure as I'm standing here now. Now, as a believer, man, we're excited We want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to to see our King, right? The one who loves us, to know that we're walking into this eternity with Him, right? Never never to go through the fallenness of our own hearts and the brokenness of our own lives, right? He he makes all things new. Ah. But for the one who doesn't know Jesus, He's the judge of righteousness every every failure every broken piece of brokenness every piece of disobedience Jesus said even every idle word that we have spoken is going to be brought to bear on that day next to the glory and the perfection of Jesus judgment awaits that's why they mourn if you're here today and you've not come to to put your faith in Jesus that's why also the Bible says today is the day of salvation because today is a day of grace In the blood of Jesus, everything I've ever done, every idle word I've ever spoke, every point of failure and disobedience and rebellion, it has been washed away. It has been forgiven. I've been made a child of God. I've been clothed with Jesus' righteousness. I can't wait for him to get here. But on that day, there's no grace. On that day, there's no salvation. On that day, there's no hope. Today is the day of salvation. And if you've not come to put your faith and trust in Jesus, the whole reason he came so meek and mild the first time was he came not to ruin to reign but he came to die. He came to pay the penalty for my sins and for yours. He told us God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him will not perish. That's why he came. And he used that picture of Moses when the people had complained and gotten bitter towards God and the snakes had come. And he says, you know, as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, that brass serpent, everyone who looked to that lived. So the son of man has to be opened up. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Today's the day of salvation. Let me finish with this. Verse 8 I am the Alpha, the Omega, the Lord, said the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now here's the thing, right? We have this promise. It's the theme of the book. Behold, he is coming. It's what the whole book of Revelation is about. He is coming. It's Maranatha. Our Lord comes. He's coming. He's coming. But here's the thing. You know, promises are only as good as the character of the person who makes the promise, right? Or the ability of the person who makes the promise. Was Douglas MacArthur in, what, 1942, having to lead the Philippines, says... I shall return. And he did, 1944, right? And he liberated the Philippines. Just before that, there was a master illusionist, maybe the best one who's ever lived. His name was Harry Houdini. And as he was approaching the end of his life, he says, I'm going to come back from the dead. We're still waiting for him, right? (laughs) That hasn't... uh... But, folk, the credibility of the promise... Is only as good as the character and the ability the one who makes the promise that's why when you're on the phone listening to the AI woman say someone will be with you shortly (laughs) that's maybe not a good promise or if the check is in the mail it's not a good promise but who makes this promise the father God himself he signs the check on this one behold he is coming and now he describes himself through four different things which are just incredible he says first of all i am right we've we've talked about this this is the name of god i am i am he gives it to moses back in exodus 3 i'm the self-existent one god don't need nobody else He doesn't need anything to happen, anything else to fall into place for Jesus to come back. He is the self-existent one. He has said it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. And then he uses the word, I'm the alpha and omega, right? Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. In it are all the letters of the Greek alphabet. The idea is, is that all knowledge... And all wisdom are contained in the words that can be formed in the Greek alphabet. All knowledge. He is the omniscient one. He knows all things. He's the one who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's inside people's hearts. The third thing he talks about is the one who was and is and is to come. We talked about that last week. I'm not going to belabor it. But he's the eternal one. He's the one who sees tomorrow as well as you and I see today. In fact, better than we see it and he saw it today as though it's just as clear as today, but he saw it yesterday because he is the eternal one. But he's also the omnipotent one, the almighty. Behold, he comes. Who made that promise? The Father. This is the plan of God. Jesus is coming. Jesus. Come. I now you say when? I don't know. He didn't tell us. He'd come back today. He'd come back tomorrow. He'd come back in a 100 years, a 1,000 years. We, But he's coming. And when that happens, folk, that's why it is so important that you know Jesus. We live in anticipation of that day. So if you've not come to put your faith in Jesus, today is the day. None of us are promised tomorrow. How sad for those bicyclists yesterday. Did you read about that? Just how taking a Saturday... And they're called into eternity. None of us knows about tomorrow. But when you know Jesus, man, you know the one who holds tomorrow, right? And we live in light of that. And that's why Maranatha, our Lord, comes, right? That's what orders our life. That's what we live for. That's what we focus our hearts on.